you're listening to Everyday Creative People. I'm your host, Dina Adrians, and this podcast is for the doers, dreamers, and makers of the world. For anyone who wishes they had more time and freedom to play, who struggles with creative blocks, or who's trying to figure out how to make a living while making art, I'm here to stumble through the madness by your side. Once you finish listening to today's show, please take a moment to subscribe to future episodes and rate the podcast. Leave a comment and tell a friend. It will really help me out. You can also join the community over in the Creative Playground Facebook group after the show and find all the show notes at dinaadriance.com slash ecppodcast. Now settle in, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Hello, Anna Shea. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? Good. So um, thank you so much for being a guest on Everyday Creative People. Can you start us off by telling me a little bit about who you are um, and what kind of a role creativity plays in your life? Sure. Uh, my name is Anna Shea Khalili. Um, I am a songwriter, singer and songwriter. I actually go by just Anna Shea for my singing uh, you know, stage name essentially. But um, yeah, I've been writing songs and uh, playing piano and uh, doing music uh, since I was a teenager. I really even started playing music even earlier than that, but I started writing when I was uh, 15. Hmm. What, uh, what got you to start writing music? Well, uh, I was a classical piano player. I took a lot of lessons and, you know, did all of the concerts and competitions and stuff like that. Uh, and then when I be, turned about 14 or 15, I sort of fell in love with certain artists. It was the 90s. It was <laughs> time. Uh, and, you know, being a teenager and having all of those emotions come forward, it sort of was my natural outlet. It just became my natural outlet. Like I started, mm. I feel like I even started... Um, with cover songs, you know, learning other artists' songs by ear and realizing, oh, I can do this and I can actually write my own stuff and not have to follow a kind of a formula. So that's how it started. Hmm. Was there ever a time when you were like unsure of your ability to actually make this happen? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Tell me about it, please. Still have that feeling. Um, you know, it's gone through a lot of a, it's gone through quite an evolving mindset. You know, when you're young and especially a teenager, you really don't know what you're capable of. You just know that you're very passionate about creating music and, you know, you haven't really had to think about making a living, <laughs> making money, doing anything like that. So I really was very passionate about it and had a lot of dreams. Uh, nothing for me was ever like I need to be famous or take over the world, but I knew that I always wanted to do music as much as possible. And mm. it really, um, it started there and then it evolved even into really loving performing. So I had a lot of dreams, but they've sort of gone, as I've aged and experienced different things, you know, the, the core love of creating music is still there, but a lot of my expectations are different and uh, have changed over the years. Hmm. So... Can you tell, talk a little bit more about how your expectations are different, how they've changed? Well, uh, my story is an interesting one. I've gone, you know, as most creative people know, you really can't predict 
what's going to happen <laughs> to you, <laughs> and, you know, what kind of opportunities will come your way. You never get exactly the situation that you think will happen. So uh, I worked, you know, I went to college uh, for a few years uh, off and on, but I was always, you know, waiting tables or, and then just working on music and playing shows and trying to tour in kind of an indie way uh, when I went to college. And this was in the early 2000s. So that was a while ago (laughs) (laughs) before Instagram, (laughs) but um, uh, I was sort of in this indie rock sort of scene, you know, coming off the heels of the more mainstream grunge music and into a more punk like DIY scene mm-hmm. uh, in Richmond, Virginia, where I live. Uh, and that's where I went to college as well. And from there, I, my career took kind of a turn because I was contacted by some DJs uh, in DC about singing on a track of theirs. Uh, and, you know, at that time, electronic dance music and house music wasn't really even on my radar. It wasn't popular over here in a mainstream manner at all. So I had no idea what these guys wanted, but they wanted to pay me to sing on a song. (laughs) I said, okay, sure. I'll listen to the music. And it was pretty good. And I was able to do a cover song with them and then ended up even uh, collaborating with them on, you know, they pulled a piece of a song I wrote, you know, DJs, they love to pull little bits and pieces. And then we rewrote some things and came up with another song that I helped co-write. And those two songs actually blew up over in Europe, like overseas. And we, it was sort of an overnight, one of those overnight success stories. Mm -hmm. However, it was not in the genre that I expected. (laughs) (laughs) It was an interesting learning experience um, because, you know, this was before it was so easy to really capitalize on anything overseas. The internet was around, but all the social media madness that we have now was not real. Yeah. A thing. What year was this? It was in 2005 is when it started. Yeah. Yeah. 2005 to 2007 is kind of when all of that went down. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got nominated for a Grammy for the song that I co-wrote in 2006. And I got to go to the Grammys in LA and it was, you know, amazing. It was a really amazing experience. Um, we didn't win, but it's okay. It's <laughs> okay. You get to say that you were Grammy nominated. Exactly. <laughs> Which is uh, pretty damn good. <laughs> it, it was really good. Uh, but it also showed me I think I had the, a little bit of that experience where when you're in your 20s and you don't know any better, you think, oh, well, it's just that easy, mm. isn't it? You know, and so I just expected things to keep going up from there. And turns out just having one success moment doesn't necessarily mean that it will automatically turn into more success. You have yeah. to really find a, an, a direction and an avenue. And because it was in such a different genre, I had a really hard time bridging the gap between sort of my indie vibe that I was doing then and then this crazy, you know, seemingly crazy off-the-wall electronic music. And, you know, nowadays everybody's mixing all of the genres up a lot more, but back then it really wasn't. Things were a little more segmented in my mind. Mm. So it was difficult. uh, And I went through, you know, a period of after that, working on a few more projects and having a record deal that didn't go through and, you know, a few pitfalls. But honestly, all of that taught me a lot about, you know, all, even if you work really hard, even if you're constantly trying, it's not always going to keep going, you know, as far as that, like, quote, what is success? You have to start to find it within yourself and find, and really started to believe all that advice that I'd gotten from the really smart people around me who said, you just have to put out music you're proud of 
and that's enough, you know, and you just mm. keep going. But you can't have a lot of expectations, financial or success, at least for me, uh, it really gets you down. It gets you in a bad headspace when things don't continue to rise up, you know? Yeah. So yeah. how do you, um, I mean, maybe you just answered the question, but <laughs> I was going to ask, how do you, how do you deal with that when you get into that bad headspace? Well, I had kind of a bad, uh, writer's block kind of shortly mm -hmm. after maybe in 2007 or so. Uh, and it didn't really come exactly. It was a combination of, you know, dealing with all of this cool stuff with the DJs uh, that didn't really match my current life, you know, still, you know, working retail and, <laughs> uh, you know, had some money coming in, but it was all like a, this overseas success, which felt very foreign and not mm. really, I didn't identify with it that much. It was really exciting and I'm really honored that so many people love those songs, but it was hard to connect with it sometimes because my life was so different. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, then these DJs were jet setting around the world. Um, <laughs> I got to go with them sometimes, which was fun, but <laughs> it was not always. Um, and then I actually was diagnosed uh, with MS right in the 2006, late 2006. And so that, interestingly enough for me, uh, put me into a non-creative space for like two years. Mm. Some people, when they're ill, they go more creative because they're, you know, dealing with their emotions. And I've always been right. someone who processes emotions through art. But for whatever reason, this just shut me down. It was like it was too hmm. painful. So I just went into robot mode and health insurance and, okay, hmm. let's figure this out uh, kind of situation. And I had a real bad block for a couple years. So that was sort of a, a lower time in my creative life. Hmm. You know, it's interesting because for me, uh, you know, my, my background is more in theater and, and storytelling and, um, and actually a, a field called applied theater where you're really using um, the, it's more about the process than the product, right? Um, yeah. I mean, the product is also important, but, <laughs> but the focus, the emphasis is on the process and, it, and it's about um, utilizing these creative tools to uh, to process our stories to, to, um, I mean, it is kind of what artists do in a lot of ways, but it's, it's applying that to specific purposes. So, you know, for, for several years when I was in New York, I was working for a girl empowerment theater company that was working with young women to, um, help them, uh, write and share their stories in a theatrical way, which, which, uh, I think helps you to process it differently. Right. So, yeah. Anyway, coming from that background and hearing what you're what you're mentioning about sort of this period of time of not being able to create um, because it was too painful really resonates because uh, in in personal storytelling, uh, actually there are it's sort of a a, a key um, idea of personal storytelling that when you're too close to a story when you're in it you're not mm -hmm. ready to tell that story. Yeah. Um, and that you need to have that sort of uh, psychological distance mm -hmm. a little bit to um, get to a place where you're really ready to tell that story. Um, and so it, it actually, I, I mean, I hear you that for some people, it, they get very creative when they're in sort of a difficult space. Mm -hmm. um, but to me, it actually makes perfect sense that that was a really challenging 
and, and sort of blocked time for you um, in terms yeah. of your creation. Does that resonate with, with yeah. what you were going through? Definitely. I think there's some sort of a autopilot that you go on when things are really intense mentally, at least for me. And I, uh, yeah, I don't think I could have done it. You know, it, it's just, it was not, it, I was not interested. I had no desire <laughs> to even try. Um, but, you know, you get to a point, and that was really the worst writer's block, I guess, that I, if you can call it that, that I've ever had. And I noticed, you know, coming out of it, you know, about the third year, I started to miss it and realized something was missing. Uh, mm. And then I had been dealing with a lot of more logistical elements of the music biz and, you know, record contract stuff and you know so I felt like I was still in it but I wasn't actually creating and I wasn't in a good headspace so when I started to really miss it and maybe I'd processed some of my it wasn't even grief really it's just such a strange feeling to know to deal with your own body when it's mm -hmm. betraying you yeah <laughs> and and you know trying to get a handle on that and you know go through all of the psychological things that happen when you realize that you're your once invincible seeming body is not invincible, <laughs> mm. at least for me. Um, I do remember starting to write again, and it was like an exorcism, and it was really mm. painful to start, and it was horrible. I mean, everything was terrible. <laughs> I started writing. <laughs> so, it had a lot of throwaway stuff, pretty weird songs. <laughs> so for anyone who is coming out of writer's block, it's not going to be probably the most amazing work you've ever done, but you have to, it's like a, exercising you have to get back in the practice of it mm, yeah and once I got there it was uh it was really nice but it was a hard even harder thing to go through to get back on the horse basically yeah, yeah. Hmm. so what like going through that period of sort of uh, stretching your muscles and and uh you know creating the throwaway work I heard you say that you uh felt that there was this sense of something missing in your life when you realized that, you know, you, you wanted to go back to writing. And then you had this process that was kind of painful to write, but you were still doing it. So what enabled you to push through that pain? I think maybe from, I was able to realize that I needed to process the emotional aspects uh, of what had happened through music. That was like my last step mm. uh, to kind of move forward from it. Because when I write, you know, I'm, I always write from very specifically things that I've experienced, even if I turn the songs into different stories or, you know, sure. and they're not necessarily a hundred percent autobiographical by the end, they always start with this seed of how I'm feeling and uh, all the actual feelings finally came to the surface. So it was painful in a way to get through some of that because it was emotionally exhausting to face all of it. Uh, but I knew I needed to do it. And it got me back to, I, it got me back to the person that had an outlet for mm. those feelings was to bottling them up. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> How did it feel when you actually got I to can realize this now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was a mess at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how perspective really can change. <laughs> yeah. um, so how, so, so that was now several years ago. Mm -hmm. um, so where are you at now in your creative life? Well, uh, from there, I, 
I released, you know, short EP back, you know, I ended up, it took me a few years to really get to where I released anything again. And it was about 2012, I think that I released an EP. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did a Kickstarter for a solo album that was uh, Make Noise. And that was in 2014, I believe. And that was a sort of my first project back that addressed the entire mess that I felt mm. I had been through. Um, it was all the songs were sort of directly about that, but it was more focused. And it was, it's one of my favorite albums I think I've ever done. Uh, and I worked with some really amazing musicians and collaborators locally uh, that were really inspiring. So we funded that Kickstarter and released that album. And, uh, you know, everything I've done is independent. And I had a lot of high hopes again for touring and things like that with that record. And I wasn't able to achieve everything I wanted to, but I achieved a lot. And I am really proud of the album. And I think that's the first time I realized, oh, I can put out music that I'm super proud of, that was fulfilling to make, and then not worry about the rest. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I, this is what we're doing. And I still play those songs when I play shows. Uh, and then in the last couple of years, I've kind of taken my relationship with one of the collaborators, a producer, uh, Joshua Quarles, and we've started working. We did release two singles last year that were more fun, uh, all electronic, <laughs> which okay. is interesting. It's like I've come full circle. <laughs> uh, not with the DJs, not with the same people, but they probably are laughing at me uh, <laughs> because I've gone from you know, fighting it to finally realizing that electronic elements and electronic production really do have a place, you know, in my creative space and mm. the particular production that this producer does, he really, really understand each other. We have a great relationship and we're of similar age. It's sort of throwback in that, you know, eighties and nineties way versus, you know, dance music. So there's some hip hop stuff. There's some, some interesting textures that he puts in that have just been really fun and we've been able to do it at, in our homes, you know, which yeah. is amazing. the technology is, caught up so much that I don't need to pay for a studio. I don't need to pay a ton of money to keep creating. So that's kind of where I am now is we we work on things. We, I send them a song, we collaborate. It takes forever, but you know, I'm really satisfied with uh, just being able to work with someone, you know, as, as the music comes to us. Yeah. 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 That's cool. So we've spent a lot of time talking about your, specifically your creative pursuits. But one of the things that I'm really interested in is what does life look like around the creative pursuits? <laughs> um, <laughs> right. So can you talk a little bit about um, what else you've been doing uh, while you've been sort of making your music happen and, and how that has fit into and fed the music? Totally. Um, yeah, I've lived, uh, I came to Virginia Commonwealth University uh, for college and ended up really liking Richmond uh, as a city. And I actually met uh, my now husband when I was probably in like 2003. We've been, we've known each other for a really long time. Uh, (laughs) And we got married in 2007. So we've been married for a little over 10 years now. So congratulations. Thank you. I know it's crazy. (laughs) It's a milestone. (laughs) It is. And I feel like we're weird because we've, you know, been together for so long at this point. (laughs) Uh, But we still like each other. It's really great. Um, And he, he, uh, he's a musician as well. Uh, He's actually was a musician and more in the punk uh, touring scene. And he had a few bands as well. So we were sort of supporting, supporting each other 
in our various pursuits. You know, when you're younger, it looks like, you know, you go on tour, you play your shows, you wait tables, you do whatever you have to do. You work a million bizarre jobs. I like to say that I've had the weirdest jobs <laughs> of all time. <laughs> My list of jobs is just bizarre and there are a lot. But, you know, you have to find these flexible situations when you're doing music actively. Um, mm. But I did end up working in, I've always worked in retail and that's sort of from the restaurant industry. I went into retail and I worked for anthropology for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, and I actually really learned a lot and made some of my best friends, you know, from that company. And uh, that was when I was diagnosed and back when you had to have a job to have insurance mm. with pre-existing condition. So honestly, working there was a huge part of uh, my young adult life. And uh, I was touring on the weekends with DJs and then going back to work at Anthropology like five days a week, you know, <laughs> merchandising and doing visual stuff. And you know, it was a very creative company. So mm. I really was happy to have learned a lot from working there. Um, mm. And yeah, it's basically been just working all the time <laughs> I feel like that's sort of been our life for so long and then you know you hit you get hit your early 30s and you realize wow I've worked really hard but where am I you know and that's when yeah. you I feel like in the last few years I've started to try to channel what I'm doing into something that is more future <laughs> more future stable. Um, so my husband actually started a business in our, we had a house and he started in our basement, a screen printing company. Okay. Uh, because he did like DIY screen printing for bands and, you know, posters and album artwork and all of that stuff. Uh, and he had a record label as well. And so when, you know, we've, we've both done, done a lot of different creative pursuits on the side, but the screen printing company has kind of turned into this actual business. So now about, you know, six years in, uh, I work for the screen printing company. No, <laughs> so that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Uh, it's uh, called Triple Stamp Press, and we do eco-friendly water-based screen printing. Uh, we moved in this year to like a 10,000 square foot space. We have like wow. 10 employees. Yeah, so, and you know, this is Will's baby, my husband, he started it, but I, you know, was the one sort of when he wasn't making any money, I would be working to try to support us and vice versa, you know? So mm, we've yeah. sort of been that couple where off and on, you know, somebody's got to try to make enough money to support the other one's weird thing they're trying <laughs> to do. Uh, but it seems we've paid off with this one for him. So I'm very proud of him and uh, I'm happy to be a part of, uh, you know, a family business. So now we really feel even more in control of our yeah, destinies. That's awesome. This business. Yeah. And it's, it's fun. I've never felt more relaxed in a job in my whole life, you know, really changed everything when I was able to work for us and, and not for someone else. So yeah. for me, that's been really great. Yeah. Hmm. Speaking of the, the business baby, you've got a human baby on the way. <laughs> I do. Yes. <laughs> Finally at 35, I was like, hmm. <laughs> if we're going to do it. Yeah. That's another thing. I feel like creative people might be late bloomers <laughs> when it comes mm. to this part. Uh, but yeah, we have a baby and um, we're very excited. It's going to be around in June. I'm actually probably not going to be playing shows until after. <laughs> the yeah. So much to... I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'll be in the mood, but, um, no, I'm taking a little break from performing, but I'll probably, I'm hoping that 
uh, I'll put out some new music at, towards the next fall. Hmm. But yeah, uh, baby on the way. And actually, I might be moving into also doing some real estate, you know. Okay. <laughs> Taking my real estate exam. I have a friend here, you know, I've lived in Richmond. This is sort of an aside, but I love the architecture here. I love the yeah. like housing market here. We have some of the most, you know, abundant historic homes like in the entire country that are still no affordable. Yeah. Uh, we have this district that's got the most Victorian homes in what this, you know, per square mile in the entire country. Wow. They, yeah. After the civil war, they rebuilt the entire city all at once because oh. it burned down. Yeah. Yeah, so we have this fan district that just has all these beautiful old homes that were all made, you know, just after the Civil War, all created all at once. So um, it's a beautiful place. It's, you know, but you can still get a house that's not a million dollars. So <laughs> I really always loved just the beauty of the city. So it kind of makes sense. I've always had a kind of an interest in um, the housing market here. So a friend of yeah. mine who is also similar to me, she was a singer and <laughs> she's done a bunch of different jobs, has found her calling with real estate. And I've made, I'm not expecting it to be that way, but it's, you know, another venture to kind of, once you think you're going to have a baby, you think, well, maybe I should make some more money. <laughs> <So> <laughs> think, yeah. Babies are expensive. <laughs> I think he's going to be really expensive. So, yeah, so I'm finally coming around to that, you know, and that's going to probably mm. be the focus this year is, you know, kind of stabilizing things a little bit. Um, but I've really enjoyed not being tied down as well, like most of yeah. my life to some sort of corporate ladder situation. You know, I've, it's never really appealed to me, unfortunately, <laughs> for my bank account. <laughs> 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 um, I've never really wanted to, I, I've dabbled in it. I've had a couple of jobs where I could have done that and it was so miserable for me. So. Mm. I'm really lucky that I've been able to pursue jobs yeah. that mostly I don't hate. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think it sounds like you've found, uh, you found sort of day jobs that um, capitalize in certain ways on your creativity. Um, yeah. Like, because uh, at Anthropology, um, I mean, if I remember correctly, not, you and I have not talked in many years prior to this interview, but, uh, but if I remember correctly, you were doing like window displays at Anthropology at some point, weren't you? Or like uh -huh. physical displays in general? Yes. Yeah. Anthropology um, has some really cool displays. They do. And they make them all by hand. Um, yeah, well, they used cool. to. I mean, when they were small, a bit smaller. Yeah. We, those girls, they do everything. I learned how to use power tools. <laughs> that company. Uh, awesome. it, it was also, I have to say, as an aside, looking back now, really pleased that I was able to work for so long for a company that had so many women. Because mm. uh, I got very used to female bosses. You know, I hardly ever yep. worked with men. Uh, and it was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> looking back, I'm like, that was really good for me because I didn't really experience a lot of. Yeah. Uh, uh, sexism in the workplace. I've had a couple jobs since then where I have worked for more men and realized, oh, <laughs> this is real. Um, <laughs> this is definitely real. Uh, seeing the men get promoted, you know, more quickly than the women, no matter what, and things like that. It just really didn't happen at Anthropology, and they expected everyone to do everything. Uh, yeah, so wow. you have to be a really hard worker to work there. So I met some, I mean, I still have some of my best friends from the anthro years as we call them. Yeah. So it really was kind of like a beautiful cult. 
<laughs> people say that like those girls are dressed like fairies and hang and then up on a 12 foot ladder changing light bulbs. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So you like got to do that work at anthropology and then now it sounds like the real estate, at least in, in Richmond, it's, it's, you know, you're able to kind of, uh, build off of your love of, of the beautiful architecture that's there. Totally. Uh, and it kind of feeds into that merchandising and all of yeah. that and the, you know, customer service and, hmm. and we, at the screen printing, we do, we don't do all, you know, exciting work, but a lot of the work we do is with illustrators that do, you know, big band posters, yeah. arena shows and stuff like that, you know, bigger arena bands like, you know, Ava brothers and Dave Matthews and stuff like yeah. that, but they hire these, amazing illustrators to do these really complex designs and then we get to screen print them. So we have a lot of uh, really fulfilling, beautiful work that we get to do at the screen printing shop, you know, and then we also do corporate stuff too, but you know, <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. very cool. So what inspires you um, to, to take this conversation in a totally different direction? <laughs> what inspires me? As far as music, is is just life. Hmm. Uh, I write from various emotional standpoints, and I will admit I'm not the most prolific songwriter. Some people I know write, you know, ten songs a day kind of thing. Uh, I'm not that kind of person, but when it hits me, it hits me. So it's more intense, and it, I can't really predict it. But it's usually life events, emotional changes things like that are what inspire me to write songs. Um, happy or sad, you know, it doesn't really matter. It just depends on what I'm going through. Uh, and then otherwise, you know, I am also, I have other facets, I guess, to my creativity where there's mm -hmm. the music side of it, which is more emotional and personal. And then there's also the more design related rising yeah. side. And I'm inspired by, uh, a lot of the things we just talked about, like beautiful architecture, the opportunity to participate in creating something that uh, is meaningful and beautiful. And, you know, I really have sort of a less critical art eye than say maybe a visual artist, but I do really enjoy like good design and beautiful things. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of that was fostered by the work I've done, but, uh, I love the idea of decorating houses. I love the idea of flipping houses, all of that stuff. Like I just um, really like to create or enjoy a beautiful, beautifully designed space. Yeah. Very <laughs> cool. When you uh, need, hmm. so I'm, I'm, I'm wondering about, uh, are there any like resources that you find really helpful in terms of, um, in terms of learning new things about your art or, uh, getting inspired or, um, uh, yeah. What do you, what, what kinds of things do you turn to when you are hmm. creating art or, or seeking inspiration? Hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> um, I have to say with music, and this is probably controversial because a lot of musicians have an issue with the streaming services, mm -hmm. but I've found them to be really helpful in discovering new music. Uh, I think 
before I had a difficult time getting out of my own uh, collection or my own, you know, the few artists yeah. that I liked and I just followed what they did or the few record labels that I knew put out good music. Now I feel like I've, you know, with this electronic stuff and kind of the de developments I've made, I've really enjoyed being able to listen to all the new music that, you know, is mainstream or is even, you know, just under the mainstream. A lot of this, as I say, the millennial <laughs> like <laughs> artists, the really young artists that are pushing the boundaries and things like that, especially with electronic textures. Uh, I was able to really be inspired by a ton of artists that I don't think I ever would have yeah. heard if I didn't have Spotify. So mm. uh, that's how it all really started with taking it to the next level with that producer is we had heard all these albums, you know, by uh, like Sylvanesso and certain like indie indie artists and then also some pop artists as well just everyone mixing up their musical styles and yeah. creating some new things and so I really I still love it I enjoy having the endless music yeah. <laughs> at my fingertips so I I use uh, Spotify and Apple Music a lot um, mm. And I also have to say, this is going to sound, this is a bit of a turn and it's annoying sounding, but uh, I started to exercise <laughs> within the past, maybe like three years, but, you know, really seriously exercise. And yeah. when you exercise for, you know, 30 to 45 minutes a day, you listen to music that entire time. Yeah. And I've been able to kind of listen to and be inspired by weirdly through exercise, I've opened up a new kind of inspiration of, you know, music because it's huh. something I've, I never was athletic before. I never really, you know, was in touch with <laughs> that side of myself. But uh, now I'm one of those people that says exercise has changed my life. So I, <laughs> I really do love it. And uh, weirdly, it's kind of strengthened and changed my relationship with listening to music and liking or feeling music in a different way, you know, where you're moving to it versus just digesting it mentally. Mm. Mm. So for music, yeah. I've turned to those sort of things. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so if you had one tip or piece of advice for somebody who is trying to, um, make more music happen in their life, um, trying to create music, uh, what would, what might that be? I guess depending on how old they are. Okay. <laughs> my biggest, if you're just starting out, my biggest advice, a uh, piece of advice is to work really hard on making music that you're proud of. Mm. Uh, and, not trying to mentally take any shortcuts. And I know it's hard to see yourself doing that. Uh, sometimes you look back and you realize you've done it, but I think when people, when you really feel a hundred percent proud of what you've put out there, it's a lot easier to take whatever you get back, you know, the criticism, because there's a lot of rejection as being an artist, especially if you put yeah. things out there, if you're performing, you put yourself on the line and uh, you know, it, it's such a hard thing to prescribe to people to be confident because <laughs> it's really difficult to probably go through some, some things to get there. But I swear, you know, audiences can feel it when you're not confident or when mm. you're not sure. Uh, if you're sure of yourself, then it really makes it easier to keep going regardless of the feedback that you get. Um, 
because it's just, you're never going to please everybody ever. Yeah. How yeah. good you are. Uh, you're just never going to, you're going to get a lot of that feedback. Mm. And I've noticed things that I've worked on that I wasn't a hundred percent behind. It hurt a lot more. Mm. <laughs> so being really confident and then trying to surround yourself with people who are supportive and positive uh, towards your work and not, yeah. it's difficult, but having someone that's really critical or doesn't believe in you, it really can hurt the situation. It's a delicate thing to develop. Yeah. Is there anything, so apart from surrounding yourself with the right people, is there anything that you do or have done to sort of help you boost your, your confidence and, and, um, to, uh, make your work happen? Um, I had to, I think I just went through some trial and error. Uh, I've worked with like, you know, certain band members and tried to make certain situations work because I'm a people pleaser and I don't want to reject people. And, you know, you work with, say you collaborate with a guitarist or something like that. And you realize that it's just not working, you know, getting that confidence and realizing that you can, you know, end a situation and, and hold out for a collaboration that's going to work really well. That's something that I think you learn over time, but it really is good to keep in mind that if it doesn't feel right, it's okay <laughs> to not yeah. proceed down a route that someone has recommended or, you know, there's just so many in music, especially there's so many musicians around. There's so many people that want to play with you or be in your band or, you know, and it's, it's a delicate relationship that you kind of have to treat uh, protectively yeah, to make sure that it's working and that everybody is excited and uh, that it's positive because it really can devolve into sort of some drama and, you know, <laughs> yeah. situations. and it, it can really hamper the music uh, writing. And, you know, this is just my perspective. I mean, I know my husband, for example, he doesn't do well when it's just him writing. He needs somebody to write with. You know, so you find out what works for you and feels the best and try to pursue that. Awesome. Um, well, thanks so much. This has been a great conversation. Where can we <laughs> find you on the internet? You can find me. Uh, everything, all of my social media is Anna Shea Music. So it's Instagram and also Twitter. And then I have a website and also Facebook. Um, but the website is com, and you can kind of be linked to everything from there as well. Awesome. Cool. Thanks so much, Anna Shay. This has been awesome. Yeah, and no problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Everyday Creative People. If you enjoyed today's show, please take a moment to subscribe to future episodes and rate the podcast, leave a comment, and tell a friend. Drop me a note on Facebook at Dina Adrian's Coaching and join the community over in the Creative Playground Facebook group. I'd love to hear from you. See you again next Monday. Same bat time, same bat channel.